This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you haven't heard about Anchor, let me tell you, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Check this out. It is free. No, I'm serious. It's free, 100%. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor then distributes that podcast for you, and you can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can also make money from that podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Welcome to another edition of Midweek Mentions. I get to run point this week. I'm Mayor Matt Santini, and we are delighted to have you with us with another episode of Midweek Mentions here on the Lauer After Hours Group. I am joined this fine day by Ant up in Brooklyn, Schweitz up in Canada, John in Miami, and Samantha down around that same part of the world. Good afternoon or evening or day, no matter where you are, where you're listening to each of you. Let's jump right to it. We've all got, I think, some really fun topics. We're going to bounce around an awful lot today, hit on a number of great things, two fantastic days of shows this week uh, that we'll be covering on the Lebetard Group as the pirate ship is sailing and picking up critical mass. And uh, we'll start with Schweitz. Take it away, buddy. Well, I think the the big news that came out today, we're recording on Wednesday, was the addition of Jamel Hill and Michael Schur to Meadowlark Media. And that's really exciting. And I just wanted to get everyone's opinion on uh, what do they think they're going to provide to the group as far as their their roles? What kind of content do you think they'll have? Ant, you have any ideas? Yeah, so first, I'm really glad they brought Jamel on. I expected him to. I expected eventually that marriage would happen, so to speak. But I'm really glad because I continue to think one of the best things that I liked about Lebertard when he was on ESPN was that he wasn't solely male-centric. He had Mina. He had Sarah. He had, even back when Allison would talk every so often, and then Jamel, like, I think it's always good to have you know, non-traditional white male voices, which the show already has with the different cast of characters with, with Dan being Cuban and Billy being Spanish and I mean, and Roy and whatnot. But I really, I really glad they brought Jamel on. I think she can bring a lot to it. I think she's going to bring a different angle. I think, um, you know, recently, you know, they did, it was a Southeast Sessions where Dan interviewed her and uh, Michael Smith. And I thought it was really good because she's really, she's in a similar realm to Dan in that she's thought talking. She wants to get you to think about stuff that you might not want me to think about. She wants to get you to think about it in a different way and bring your perspective and she brings her perspective. And I think it works really well. So, so I'm excited for it. What about you, John? What do you think? Likewise with, with Jamel Hill, but I'll need someone here to explain to me who Michael Schur is because he, I'm not so familiar with, but the Jamel Hill signing is, is great. I liked her when she was paired up with, uh, I think it was Michael Smith, uh, if I'm not mistaken. So, and they were very good. And uh, the way they approach subjects and, and um, 
and how entertaining they were when when they did cover uh, the important subjects. And I hope they do more of that. I like the perspective that they bring. Maybe it's because they, it resonates also with me and, and we, we have similar thinkings in that respect. But Michael Shore, now him, I have very little um, familiarity with. So someone here, maybe Mayor, can illuminate who, who, who he is. Well, I have thoughts. We'll circle back to it. I want to go down to the lady in the group, Samantha, and see if she has any thoughts on getting a female voice officially joining the uh, the pirate ship. I mean, it's always nice to get a new perspective. Um, it's kind of funny because even though I'm a female, and yes, I do female things. I get my hair done, my nails done, whatever. <laughs> I mean, I'm a brain uh, that I wouldn't want to say I am just a female brain. You know, like, I feel like I can relate to males just as good as females. And I, I think it's great to branch out and not say, like, you're a girl, so we're going to get your girl's perspective. Like, you're a human, and you have a brain, and what does your brain think? And I think that's really cool. Like, I don't know much about her. I'd love to learn more and kind of see a little bit more about, like, what her perspective is on things. But um, I think when it comes to radio specifically, podcasts, anything along those lines, like, you're just listening to like their view of the world and how they can put their spin on things. Well, the uh, Schweitz, I'll let you, since it's your topic, I'll let you tell everybody who, who Michael Schur is. Okay. Well, just a, a breakdown of both of them. Um, Jamel was a sports center anchor journalist um, out of Detroit. I believe she was at the Detroit free press uh, for a while before doing sports center after tweeting about Donald Trump being racist. There was a whole thing with ESPN and Disney where she ended up leaving uh, in regards to around Colin Kaepernick, things like that. So her background is very much activism as well as sports. She's a very strong presence. Michael Schur is sort of the opposite of that spectrum. Michael Schur is a comedy writer. He is the creator of the good place parks and rec he uh, was a writer on The Office. He played Moe's Schrute on The Office, for those who are fans of The Office, which is a wonderful character. Uh, has a back, you know, Saturday Night Live writer. He was featured on a South Beach session today. You can get some more info on him, but very big comedy writer in that world uh, as far as the TV side of things. He is the white whale that I want to get on the pod. We have got to interview Michael Schrute. I was so excited about that because, like you said, the, the character Moe's from The Office is is absolutely phenomenal and and you have to remember both he and jamel are joining the title is creative advisor so they'll be kind of pushing some of the content i'm sitting there just envisioning what the mind of michael sure could do to maybe steer some of the members of the shipping container in different directions can you imagine some of the you know billy's kind of open to doing wacky and silly things so is chris and I don't know if there's going to be some idea generation or just, again, new content that may bring other people into the universe. But I want to circle back to what Ant said before I throw it back to you, Schweitz, is the fact that one of the things I've appreciated about the Dan Levitard show is that he has brought a lot of female voices. And not, and again, not just because they're female voices, it's because a lot of sports fans think, oh, just, you know, a meathead, woman, you know, not a place for a woman to be. But, you know, you, Jamel is certainly extremely intelligent. You talk about Mina getting Sarah Spain very early, even Katie Nolan, Diana Rossini, all these, these voices that he made sure he went out of the way. You know, it's one thing to say you want to be inclusionary, it's another thing to actually do it and put it into practice. And this is just the first step. And, he, and he's done it all along the way. And, you know, as, as the father of a, of a strong, independent girl, I'm married to a strong, independent woman. And I manage uh, in my different 
jobs, uh, every single one of my senior staff are female. So I'm, I've, I'm well aware of the, the power and strength of, of women and, uh, and that they can do the job. They're just, again, it's maybe a different gender, but I mean, they get, as Sam, Samantha said earlier, talent's talent and that's the way it's going to go. So uh, I'm happy that they're both on board. And again, the creative advisory role, whatever's going to happen with that. And uh, Schweitz, I think you had something else you wanted to add to that. Oh, I was just thinking too, uh, the combination of potential of Michael Scherr and Hank Azaria uh, together, you know, you have a master performer with a master creative person. Also, there's a connection there that could also just be golden. That was a topic I wanted to cover tonight. Michael Shore, also a comedy writer. That's right. Prop comic. Prop comic, absolutely. Uh, Ant, let's go to you next and see what you've got for us this evening. All right, well, so I just want to jump back and say, reach out to Michael or, or get, you know, get Drake to reach out via the Lara account. I don't see why he wouldn't be open to the idea or at least listen to us trying to get him on. I mean, it's not like he's not doing anything. I just mean like we're not necessarily, we've grown to more than a fly-by-night scenario. So I think we can get him on. I think I agree with you that it would be a good get. So my topic is I wanted to talk Bob Ryan. And I mean, I'm just a big fan of him um, in general because of the way he just does his stuff. He's not afraid to be a little wacky. He rolls with Stu being Stu and stepping on everything he says. And he's, he's okay to let, you know, Dan asked him three times, but do you know the question I asked you? Can you repeat the question? And Bob's like, no. Anyway, so what I wanted to say was, I don't know. I just like, I always like what I have him on, even beyond the explain your tweets, which is just to me, comedy gold, because he's so passionate about it. And even when he says, yeah, I made a mistake there, but he's just like, so invested or like he really like he feels it you know and, he, and he's not here he's not here for these millennials talking about Bam Metabio being better than than Larry Bird he's like get out of here with that he's he, so I, I don't know I just really love so I wanted to see what does everyone else think you know Schweitz what are you thinking of Bob Ryan segments I I always enjoyed them I'm a, always a fan of sort of the the Bob Ryan Tony Co- Kornheiser sort of like curmudgeon style of sports writer especially since they do a bit of a self-deprecating style as well as, you know, they're not super stubborn about it. You know, they're stubborn about the non-serious things. They, they're adaptable and things like that as far as women's rights go in, in sports and things like that. So, I mean, I, I love Bob Ryan and just the, the amount of, you know, he lets his humor out on the show in a way that's great. Mayor? I, I wrote a note, you know, when I was going through my show notes and everybody's touched on some of the things that I wanted to talk about. I've just got written down, Bob Ryan is old, crusty, and doesn't give a damn. And and Steve Kerr, get over yourself, were the two things that I wrote relative to that. But yeah, Bob, again, it's, this is, I'm set in my way. I'm going to tweet. I'm going to tweet whatever I want. I don't care if it makes sense or not. It, it's it's my Twitter account. I'm going to send out something that makes absolutely no sense at all. What do you got, Ant? I just wanted to add to the, to the Kerr thing for a second. I think a point that you didn't touch on is I think Kerr was being critical of Draymond Green more than he was being critical of Kevin Durant. And I think one of the reasons he didn't name names is because he didn't want to name his own player or name something that would then be associated to his own player because he wants to keep Draymond focused at the task at hand and not necessarily talk about, yeah, Draymond, you went a little too crazy last year. And, you know, that's part of the reason we don't have Kevin Durant. And um, I thought that was an angle that they didn't really cover as far as compared to Steve was wrong for saying what he said or the guy who retreated it was wrong or, you know, the fight that that reporter had with Bomani previously, it just seemed all like a little nonsensical to me. Well, my problem is, is don't, don't sit there and say, how dare you say this? There's not, that's not what I said. Nothing was further from the truth when outside of just naming somebody, which he should have had the courage to do if he was going to do it. um, It it was exactly what he said. Yeah. All right, John, what about you? 
So I'll take I'll take the Bob Ryan first, and then I'll I'll discuss the Durant quote second. So Bob Ryan, I like the fact that he doesn't budge his Mount Rushmore. Right, nobody's gonna budge him off of that. I, I don't think. And uh, the people he, you know, he grew up, maybe not grew up, but in his heyday of writing covered, you know, the McHale's and the parishes and, and those guys. So I always find that funny. What, what I did miss, at least this time, unless I didn't hear properly, was explain your tweets. And, and that's what, what I truly miss uh, when they have them on and when they kind of make them seem as, as uh, musty as, as he is. He is definitely musty. We are joined by Christy Yamaguchi, man. Good evening. How are you? Hey, what's up, Mayor? What's up, Menches? How y'all doing? Like a professional wrestler coming in halfway through a tag team match. <laughs> I know. I know. I wish I had a folding chair I could hit y'all over the head with. <laughs> how's, it, how's, it, how's it going tonight? Hello to everybody listening. Uh, sorry, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm at a const- kind of a remodel construction site right now, uh, joining remotely. So uh, not that this is very exciting. I just wanted to check in. I didn't mean to interrupt y'all's recording. Hope it's going well. It looks like you're in a salvage yard. It's after dark and you're wearing, you know, dark colors. Are you, are you there to like, yeah, it looks like you're get, you're at a lumber yard this late at night and you're loading up your truck. <laughs> are you making well, a Why are your pants I, on? Wait a, wait a second. Yeah. Your pants on. <laughs> I'm, I'm ransacking a construction site for the uh, copper. Uh, I know how much that stuff goes for, and and lumber is up two hundred percent right now. I don't know if anybody's done any remodeling lately, but uh, now is not the time to do it. Um, uh, I'm I'm learning learning that out the hard way. Holy moly! I'm try, in the middle of a project. Material. I'm in the middle of a of a of a project right now. So yeah, I know that uh, lumber is very uh, very expensive right now. Not good timing on our part. That makes sense. Yeah. Why I was behind a truck this morning, like a regular pickup truck, probably twenty pallets tall that they strapped onto the back of their truck like they must be trying to find lumber anywhere they can it may i was like who has that many pallets just on the back of a pickup truck now i get it the, well, you, uh, buy, the you can sell down pallets. during covid and uh and and so lumber is up uh, averaging it's averaging about 215 percent increase in price right now um, not that this has anything to do with the show this week or, uh, or, or <laughs> Meadow Large Media. I'm hot sorry. lumber takes. Uh, Actually, that hot, explains hot Bob Ryan perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm going to leave you guys to it. I just wanted to say hello. Uh, well, well. Check in. I uh, hope everybody has a great night. You too, Adios. man. You as well. Yeah. Put your right, pants bye. on. Live with your legs, not with your back, all right? Amen. And don't, don't don't get caught. Don't let the security, those places have dogs that run security for them. Don't get caught while you're stealing all that lumber. Maybe I'll run into the junkyard dog. There you go. (laughs) Don't get chocolate. See you, Crispy. So so the Durant thing. So I was going to say with the following, uh, circling back to the Durant thing. So yeah, I agree. If if you're going to maybe make a statement like that. Well, let me, let me backtrack. I'm not sure if he was asked a question and then he responded to it. Or if he freely gave that, if he freely gave that quote, uh, and and that's escaping me now. Because if you ask the question, then I could see how that could be delicate, and you don't want to say it. But but personally, and it seems like the the writer is a repeat offender. Um, he's doing this stuff for clickbait. If somebody didn't say that that it's specifically because of person A, B, or C, you 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 don't have you you don't have the right to put that in print. Firstly, and secondly. Um, that the 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 apology is is hollow right it rings hollow and it's not true because you knew exactly what he was doing it's not your first rodeo you've done it before you've done it to Bo 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 called you out on it 
and and you're doing it precisely to generate this type of this type of uh, contention so that people then can click on it and read on and, and all this stuff. So uh, the fault I find is with with the writer because that's the larger point. He might have said what he said. And, and I think Stu, finally, I agree with Stu on, on something where he said, listen, it could have been whatever bench, bench guy he was talking about that, that rides the pine all the time. Could have been him. Is it probably him? No, but it could have been him. But um, I find fault with the writer. So there are my Bob Ryan takes. Bob Ryan's good. Writer's bad. Oh, we're going to go from north. We're going to go from south to the north. What is it, Ant? I was just also going to say the other thing that sort of annoyed me about the whole situation was I thought Stu was sort of correct in his take that winning is more fun. Or certainly I would say losing is not fun. Even if you've got a good group of guys, even if you're trying and everything's going well, losing on the scale that they did last year going 15 and, you know, whatever it was, 50-something, that's not fun. Now, you can argue that winning with a bunch of curmudgeon guys isn't necessarily fun either, but I can't sit here and take... I can't sit here and listen to the fact that someone's going to say losing is fun. You're out there. You're, you're a coach. You're out there to try to make your team do its best. Yeah, you were undermanned and fine. So it was great that all your young guys were trying hard, but you're not happy as losing, you know, four to one, five. To one. Well, and that's exactly, I mean, that's, that's why I say get over yourself. You can't tell me that winning, I mean, you're, you're, the whole purpose of being there is to win Schweitz and then John. I was just going to say. Obviously, winning's fun, losing's not fun. Uh, but I also think, you know, it sort of depends where your expectations are for your team. Obviously, these guys should have an ex- expectation to win. But when your main players are hurt or your team's rebuilding, if you're in that scenario, so like the Blue Jays here have a really young team. They knew they were rebuilding. They weren't expecting to win a division. They were really happy with the progress that they made, as long as they were progressing forward, they understood where the team was supposed to be. So the fact is that they had a losing streak of five games, who cares? Because you still are moving forward in the right direction. You could see that progress with a young team. Now winning 15 games after being champions, that's a little bit different. Go ahead, John. I think we're all being a little myopic here because it's not just the last second and who has the most points at the last second. So what I understood by him saying that is the whole process of winning, right? Which includes the coaching, includes the practicing, it includes uh, all these, in some cases, some intangible stuff that leads up to to winning. The fact that the that that you your three pointer hit at the end of the buzzer doesn't mean that that all the stuff that went into that was easy or was fun or wasn't. And the converse of that is that you could have a great practice, you could have you know, everybody gelling and no prima donnas and, and that portion being very fun, but the last few seconds don't go your way. And that's, that's kind of how I interpreted it. Not that it was the last second and that, and that you won by a point or you won by, you know, whatever, or your blowout, but that the process of winning and losing, right. Which includes it, it's a weekly thing or whatever it is. And one or two days of the week is the game, but it's a culmination of stuff. And that whole process is what I think he's referring to, you know, being fun. And you could, you could have a, a much better time doing that and perhaps losing or losing close or whatever, than than having, you know, I think whoever said Eric curmudgeon or some prima donnas or people don't want to put in the work. And maybe there's one guy who has, you know, the, the talent um, and, and, you know, just figures he can rest on his laurels 
And from a coach's perspective, he has to go ahead and now manage that guy and try to coach that guy. And, and that may not be, that may not be fun, you know? Yeah. I mean, I've been playing sports since I was seven years old. Um, winning and losing had its own evolution from its youth to being older. Like obviously seven, eight years old, you're just learning how to play the sport. You don't really know what you're doing. Just having fun, you know, participation awards. Here you go. Good job. You hit the ball. Like, oh, you didn't get hit in the face that time. You were a tough cookie. Good, you know, like stuff like that. Uh, literally tough cookie award winner two years in a row. Um, Congratulations. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Got to win something. If it means getting hurt and that's what you're winning, good job. Um, but yeah, like I feel like the more competitive I got in sports, the more it was the mindset going into the game that led to how I felt about winning or losing. Like if you go into a game and you know you're playing the best team and you've been having a really crappy season and you're like, hey, guys, let's just have fun with this. Like we know they're going to kill us. We know they're going to like do this and do that. And we're going to hate it and the refs are going to suck or whatever is going on that game. Let's just embrace having fun. Let's be the loudest team. Let's have like, have, like any sport I did with like you have the cheers on the sideline and just like getting into the game and enjoying the sport knowing that you can control what you can control and that's it. Now, if there's something that's outside of our control and we are like, we got to win this game, it's a close game. And then you come out losing that losing mindset is completely different. Like if you're a team that's like, you have the worst like season of everyone else in the league, you just embrace it at that point. You just embrace the suck. But if you're in the top two and you're going to the finals and then you lose that loss, is a hundred times harder. And so, I mean, winning also has its pros and cons. Like winning a tight game always feels that much better. When you blow someone out of the water, it's like, you don't even notice what that would have felt like. You're just like, oh yeah, we were going to kill him anyways. Who cares? What do you think, Ant? I was going to say, I think, I agree with you that in a moment for a particular game, you can have that mindset. I just think, I think back to teams that are on like, High school football, we were awful. Like, we were awful. And most of the time, we still had fun anyway in the moment. But when you look back at a season after you went 1-9-1, and one, there were moments that were fun, but there was also a lot of moments that was like, ugh, and it just weighed on you. So that was my sort of thing. That I definitely think losing doesn't have to be terrible, but I just don't see if, I, if you compare – the ability to win most of your games or lose most of your games in aggregate, I don't know. Again, winning isn't always fun, but I don't know that losing can ever be more fun than winning when you look at something in totality. But that may just be me. Just because, be a Dolphins fan and, you know, you'll understand. I'm a Jet fan and I'm a Knicks fan. <laughs> oh, so no. Did you of, just say you're a Jets fan? We have a whole cheer for you. So, so not to flog a dead dolphin here, but um, so to speak. So the, the, first, this was from a coaching perspective. And please secondly, don't, I just don't want, flog your dolphin. Yeah. <laughs> and secondly, um, just to reiterate, um, if you're talking about the, the, like I said, the last moments where you win or lose, of course, that is, you know, is devastating and not fun. And it's always in, in that sense, it's better to be, to be a winner than a loser. Right. But, Again, he's the, he's talking from a coaching's perspective, and the larger point was it was the, the the winning that they put together, the way the team behaved 
as a whole, mm-hmm. even though they lost, was was um, funner for him as a coach mm-hmm. than in some cases the team that he had where they won everything, but everything that he had to do as a coach was not. And and I could definitely see that. I mean, in movies we see all the time where you have um, you know the 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 overbearing coach that's you know on the team that has all the people and 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 he's yelling and overbearing the people and the players are are snooty and and snobby and all this and they're winning and winning and then you end up rooting for the team and having fun with the team that isn't that way even though they start off as as losers or you know bad news bears comes to mind and other movies like that so anyways uh, again not to not to reiterate too much but I, I wanted to to frame it that way my uh, my final point on the topic too is this is a professional sports league or you know we're talking about professional athletes there there is a good chunk of them that are just happy to be playing basketball they're just happy to get that payday they're just happy to, to live that lifestyle. Um, I don't think it's necessarily the majority of players, but I think it's more than uh, what a fan would realize because we look at it as wins and losses. They look at it as this is my life. How am I living today? That kind of stuff. So I think there is a, a bit of a balance there too. Well, I agree. There's a, I have a friend of a friend who's in it, who's in the NBA for a number of years. And the saying is it is very difficult to get into the NBA, but it's even more difficult to get out of it. Because once you get those bad contracts and you get to a certain level, you're, you're an asset as a bad contract. And again, so winning and losing doesn't become uh, quite nearly as important. I want to wrap up on, on my topics. Uh, Billy Gill, congratulations, the sixth best NFL analyst. I want to know who those other five people are. There's nobody better. That was for the useless sound montage. And if you want to find out more about that in depth about that article, I'm told these uh what was it? Is it Mystery Crate this week that has stupidity? Stupidity does. It features Billy Gill with an interview with the person that uh, put together that list. And you'll get to see exactly why Billy is number six or make you question why Billy is number six. That will be fine. The one thing that I wanted to bring up, we're going to play a little game here. We'll go around the room and Samantha, I'm going to let you know, I'm going to come to you first. Uh, Mike's discussion about the World Slap Fighting Championships. I've watched some of this online. It is absolutely bizarre. I actually have a friend in high school, uh, him and another friend of mine were, were slap fighting and got a, a busted eardrum, perforated eardrum, as a result of playing that very dangerous game. And it got me to thinking, what stupid games did did we play growing up? I, I know I did. One in particular, we used to call it free shot, where we would literally just stand in front of the, the brick wall on the back of my house. And we would take different types of a playground ball or a basketball or a soccer ball or anything wanted to and you had to stand there um facing the person throwing the ball you would uh since we were all males we were holding our hands in an area that where we really didn't want to get hit and you would just have to stand there and take it as this person would throw the ball at you as hard as they possibly can that happened until uh, i hit my uh, very best friend in the head with a basketball that i threw at him and it hit him so hard that he ricocheted back and his head hit the brick wall and was concussed so we called that free shot. And so, Samantha, I'm sure as competitive as you are, uh, you probably had some types of games that you played growing up that didn't make an awful lot of sense and probably put your life in a lot of peril. Um, so one that comes to mind, which it got pretty violent, not going to lie, it's called Pokey War. <laughs> um, basically, you have an opponent. This is my ultimate Frisbee world. This is like the community we're in. Um, you have an opponent. 
you grab their hand and then you have your fingers sticking out. And the idea is whoever can poke the other person first wins. Now, these are athletes and very like agile, like laying out all over the place. Like when the guys do this, you're like, are they wrestling? Like what is happening? You're like, they're going to snap a finger in half. Like it's pretty violent. And the girls would do it too. So like we would have tournaments that would kind of turn into like the last consolation game and everyone's drunk and they're like, pokey wards for the winner. So they would get that, like their hands and they'd go for it. And it was pretty ridiculous. So, Anybody yeah. ever snap a finger in that? Not that I know of. Cause I usually end up walking away from this to make sure I don't get drawn in. <laughs> All right. Well you pick who goes next. I want to know. Let's see. John in Miami. Hmm? Mine is a little bit similar to, to mayors. It was uh, something called burn ball and you would basically be in a either racquetball court or something with a wall, a large wall in front of it. And then you'd all line up and somebody would take a racquetball, heave it at the wall as hard as you can. And then you were supposed to catch it. And if, if you mishandled it and it dropped, you had to run as fast as you could to the wall and touch the wall. Those who made it were safe, uh, but anybody around you would then pick up the, the, the rubber um, racquetball and just heave it. And, and try to smack you as hard as they can. I mean, that was the intent. The intent was always to, to hurt and welt you up. And so it wasn't like, oh, uh, the intent was never, for the person catching, of course, was to catch the ball. But man, did everybody start like salivating when, when you mishandled that ball and they scramble for that blue, ra blue racquetball. And then they just gunned <laughs> it and, and would just welt you up. They'd lump you up all over um, if you weren't quick enough. Touch wood, I was pretty quick. Um, so, uh, but th that one, looking back, I'm like, yeah, I, I don't know what's uh, that. And maybe uh, the adult version of that, which is maybe paintballs. Uh, you know, I, I've gone shooting paintballs a few times and man, I, I got really bruised up, huge bruises, probably, you know, it, I don't know, eight, 10 inches, you know, after two days, it was yellow and brown and black and about eight inches all over my body because I was shot at like almost point blank. So those are the two, I think. Ant, what about you? So similar to what John was saying, we played a game and this wasn't going to be my topic actually, but um, similar to what John said, we called it butts up. And the gist of it was the additive to what John said, which is if you missed three times, you had to go up against the wall, put your hands up, spread your legs, and everybody got to peg you as hard as they could from like 15 or 20 feet away. But I wasn't even going to go there. But since John mentioned something similar, I wanted to mention that. What I was going to say is when I was really young, I would say between probably the ages of five and 10, I had a kid who lived down the street from me, Richard DeNike, and we would play one-on-one -on -one tackle football. I would get down in my stance with the ball. He would get down across. I was a center. He was the nose guard. And I would basically call hike and try to run and make it from where I was to the other end of my lawn and he would do his best to knock the ever living shit out of me or vice versa if he had the ball. And it was just, I look back, I'm like, we were six inches to a foot away from each other and literally tried to like run each other over as like five, six, seven year olds with a football and everything. So I think back to that, that to me is like, the hell were we thinking? Like, and how was I doing it on our front lawn with my mom and dad in the house and no one coming out and saying, the 
hell you two doing trying to kill each other? Like, but we played it like a ton. I feel like half the year we were playing it. And more so in the spring when it was warm out, not even like in the snow, although we would play in the snow sometimes. But so for me, that was that was it. One-on-one tackle football where literally you would just clock each other's heads. Like and oddly enough, none of us ever really got hurt. Like there was never anything where we really had to like, mom, I think uh, you gotta come outside and take it. Nope. But looking back, very stupid. All right, Schweitz, bring us home. All right, I got I got two for you. The first one was called Spatula Fight Club, which is exactly what it sounds like. Uh, it was slap fighting with a spatula. So we'd have a plastic spatula. This was in university. Roll up your sleeve. Somebody get a whack on your on your bicep. You just go back and forth till somebody gives up, or in every one of our cases, the spatula broke. Um, <laughs> so that that was the first one. The second one was much more of a game. It was called Ball in Shoe. Now, this game uh, was invented in, in our dorm room when we were bored. You would sit across from each other, have your legs spread, like picture one, like little kids roll a ball back and forth. They have their legs spread to catch the ball. And then what you would do is you would take your tennis shoe and you would set it upright so the toes like facing your belly button and you know, where you would put your foot into the shoe was covering your junk. And you would take a tennis ball and you would try to just sort of like a beer pong shot. You would try to roll it, throw it, get it in the hole in the shoe. Because what happened is if you did like a nothing but net shot, it would be enough pressure to hit the other person in the balls. But if you didn't get the nothing but net shot, it wouldn't co- like you really wouldn't cause any pain or anything like that. So it was just a, you know, just really bored guys sitting in our dorm. And then we do tournaments between maybe six of us every so often. And the bizarre thing about every one of these games is you play them with the people that are your closest friends and the ones that you love the most. And the purpose of them is to inflict as much uncomfortable pain on them, or maybe in Schweitz's case, uh, permanently maim somebody. Samantha, you had something to add. And then John's got the most dangerous game. Well, I was curious, do you feel like when you guys got into college, some of these games subsided because you would uh, basically penalize each other with alcohol, aka drinking games? I feel like the hangover the next day has got to be the, the thing that kills the most. That's, that's a good point. Yes and no. I feel like also there was a, there was a, you know, arc on that drunken curve where you would do more stupid stuff. <laughs> You would go outside and, and play, you know, something in the parking lot that would just cause you to fall and you'd end up with like strawberries all up your legs and knee because you were doing something, you know, extremely stupid. And then you would get past that curve of being too drunk to stand and you would, you know, those things would subside. But I feel like there was like an up the curve part where you were like, yeah, let's go do, not even let's go do streaking, but like, let's go outside. And I don't know, you know. What, what stupid things ha- have an ice ball fight in the middle of the winter? Because, you know, why the hell not? Because you're too stupid to know to better. I don't know. Absolutely. John, that's the most dangerous a, game. Or that may just be a guy thing. <laughs> so my friend reminded me of this a few years ago, and, and it made me scratch my head. And it was like, what were our parents thinking? And the most dangerous game is playing with mercury. So like the little thermometer would break. And then we'd play with mercury on the floor, you know, and 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 watch it, it become, you know, two little small little things and then br- 
come together. We could have, we literally could have damaged our brains and, and, and death maybe even. Uh, and we were just happy as, you know, pig and pig and shit playing with, with the most dangerous, you know, thing. Uh, so th that just reminded me of, of the most dangerous thing and stupid thing that we would play with or play. That, that literally is the most dangerous game. Yeah. You were risking, you were risking death there. So congratulations uh, to you for not dying Thank and you. Uh, to your parents for not being overly concerned about it. That's that's right. Well, is, is am, I, am I alone? Am I alone in that? Like, like, uh, like the little yes. mercury and playing with the mercury? Really? <laughs> yeah. How often, how often did this happen? Oh, I mean that I can remember maybe, maybe once or twice when the thermometer broke um, that it's not like I had mercury laying around like uh, at Toys R Us or anything the thermometer broke and you would just kind of play with it. And, and I thought, I thought it was more common because it was, I didn't bring it up. My friend brought it up to me. He's like, can you believe that the stupid shit we did when we were kids and, and we just started talking about stuff. And he mentioned that and I was like, Oh shit, we did play with mercury. That's, that's crazy. And that's dangerous. And, and, you know, and I guess, I guess it was just he and I. All right. Well, we always talk about trying to keep it short. We've had a great conversation. I want to thank y'all for participating. We always try to come up with a name for the pod based on what we talk about. I guess the things I was thinking about was butts up and pokey war. I, I, I don't know. Maybe we'll come up with something better than that. But uh, let's let's go around the room. You can find me on Twitter at Santini Matt. John, where can they find you? At Papa John's. Samantha? At Samantha Y26. Schweitz? Whites underscore A-Y. Very good. And Ant? At Stiano, S-T-A-I-A-N-O. And then also Christy, who joined us. You can find him at at Waffle House, W-A-P-P-L-E-H-O-U-S-E. That's right. Thank you to Drake and Steak for not showing up tonight. We'll try to catch you next week. You were missed. We love you very much. We'll see you next week on Midweek Menches, right here, part of the Lauer After Hours family. Have a great week. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime.